welcome back to OBGYN Rocks podcast. Today, we'd love to introduce more of an educational initiative spearheaded by our awesome residents in OBGYN for diversity, equity, and inclusion and advocacy here within OBGYN. Dr. Bridget Hoisman joins us to describe this initiative a little more, how it came about, what we're doing um, as a department, as residents, um, fellows, faculty to continue um, to work on our commitment to our patients and the community in which uh, we are here to serve. Um, I think you will also hear in Dr. Hoisman's voice her commitment to advocacy and the compassion that she brings to every day that she cares for patients really exemplifies the awesome residents we have here at Barnes and um, hope you just enjoy this conversation. It is January 2022. We are in the midst of an ongoing pandemic, hopefully plateauing, we'll see, uh, with the current surge of COVID. Um, Dr. Hoisman and I talk about the emotional burden that everyone has had during this time. It's been different for everyone, but it is real. Um, There's been some rage. There's been continued volatile politics, vaccine hesitancy, really sick patients, broken trust in the system. Um, All of this is really hard to deal with. And our hope with this podcast is that we elevate some of the... um, Wise of what we're doing and, and hear from the voices of people who are providing care in day in and day out. Um, they are amazing people and they make me want to stay at work and work a little harder and also get home and rest sometimes too. <laughs> so uh, without further ado, let's listen to Dr. Hoisman and um, hear what she has to say. Thank you. How's it going? Good. How are you? Fine. Um, it's great to catch up with you. You've had such a busy, exciting year in your chief year, and mm-hmm. um, we're, of course, in the middle of a, yet another, maybe our biggest COVID surge, and uh, stresses are high. Um, how yes. are you? I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> I will say that um, I was actually thinking about it this morning as I was kind of preparing everything. The difference that you know training in the middle of all of this might be as compared to not having a COVID pandemic um, and kind of what my earlier residency period was Um, and just kind of thinking you know about the different coverage issues that we've had in the last even just the last few days and trying to get people to be able to take their CREAG exam but also have people out because of COVID and people just kind of mostly going with the flow and filling in where their teammates need them. So it's a lot. (laughs) A lot of adapting and quick thinking. And Mm -hmm. um, I guess this is part of your role as administrative chief. No, no, not even. even. Oh my gosh. Okay, we can take that out. Yeah, I actually took my name out for that. quick shout out to the amazing Chief Administrative Residents for 2021-2022, Drs. Tyler McKinnish, Manuela Mejia, and Lulu Yu. We love you. You are doing an awesome job. Thank you. Yeah, it's just yeah. to be the Chief. Yeah, yeah. 
But actually for me, that was um, something kind of very out of my character, but very, um, I think, demonstrated a lot of um, growth and also just like setting boundaries and knowing kind of where my passions lie. And so it's actually allowed me to do a lot more with the DEIA curriculum and some things that I... Um, really wanted to put like my energy behind. So. Oh, I love that. So we definitely want to talk about that D and I curriculum that you have established with some of the, your co-residents. Um, explain how that happened. Yeah. So um, the ideas initially came in my first year um, as an intern when we were kind of, you know, for me coming from the Northeast, this was a real change to come to the Midwest, where um, in Missouri, we are facing some of the most um, restrictive abortion laws, and thinking about, at that time, um, some of the legislation that was coming through in 2019, and thinking about um, some of the changes that were happening in our residency, where we were having to transition to going to Hope and not being able to come to Planned Parenthood, and thinking how unique of an experience that was for our resident group that they, you know, residents across the country are hopefully getting abortion training. But for us, we were facing unique challenges that are, you know, not totally unique to here, but are faced maybe less by certain residents in different states. Absolutely. Um, And then thinking about, well, what are we actually doing as a residency to think about advocacy, diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, And I actually have a really good friend who's in PEDS and she gets like a whole block to do advocacy and learn about advocacy and be with community partners and understand kind of what her role as a pediatrician in the community can be. And I think that as obstetrician gynecologists, we are so vital to our patients and advocating for them that I felt really strongly about the need for us to have some of that in our curriculum. And it is recommended by, you know, ACGME, ACOG, all the bodies, and there's some resources online, but it's not a built-in part yet, or it's becoming more, um, of resident curriculum. So like, we take CREOGs every year, we have to do so many cases, but I think each residency over the last few years is working to think about how do we put this into our resident curriculum knowing that there are so many things to fit in and it's only four years um right and there's so many things being things you mentioned like creag didactics studying you know getting that the didactics you need but also trying to focus on wellness and trying to focus on um many other things. Yes. Surgical skills, yes. surgical <laughs> simulation, getting to all the sim labs that mm-hmm. are available here, right? There's so many things to do. So little time. Um, yeah. And so over, since my intern year, you know, I kind of started talking about Dr. Dickinson, who's been, you know, a really big champion for us, along with Dr. Sohn. And then it's kind of snowballed and I've kind of brought on people yeah. and now we're a group of, you know, uh, five of us, I guess. Um, and I brought in Hallie, who's been a great um, partner and champion with me, and then we've added Janai, and most recently, you know, some of our interns to try to keep this as a longitudinal um, thing love that it. will live on, yes. hopefully. <laughs> yes, so, great. Yeah. 
Um, so how many events have you, you've had events now, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily just in the didactic curriculum, but also kind of, I guess we would call it outside time. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us how those are arranged and, and yeah. organized. So we really started to think about how to integrate material into the residency, knowing that the didactic time is very limited. Um, so we've done a couple of events within the actual structure time. Um, however, I would say our biggest successes have been the events we've done kind of outside um, didactic time. We've done one a block throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So I think we're up to about four or five now that we've done and trying to think, at, think about different aspects of this giant umbrella <laughs> that is diversity, equity, inclusion. And we've added on kind of an advocacy component, recognizing that that was uh, not only lacking, but super important to our role as, um, you know, OBGYNs. Yeah. Um, what do you think it means for an OBGYN to be an advocate? Like, how do you do that on a daily basis? We, we watch you do this on a daily basis for the, you're amazing, but how do you define that for yourself yeah. and others? So I think it can be really diverse, actually. Um, you know, if you're in our CO3, really any of those clinics, I think it's, you know, can be very individual with, you know, calling for the prior auth or getting them connected with social work or the transportation needs that they need and kind of thinking about not just what are the medical issues that we're addressing today, but what are the social determinants that play into how we can best care for those medical issues. Um, You know, I think that that can also run the, the spectrum of then being somebody who goes to Jeff City and testifies or even writing op-eds or doing being a research champion to figure out how do we think about different um, care delivery systems or understanding where our health disparities come from and how do we not just identify them but think about solutions to make them better. Um, so I think that there's a ton of work <laughs> that we can do. Um, and I think each of us in our own way picks different ways to, to do that, whether it's more on an individual physician to patient um, perspective or thinking kind of more on a systems level. Yeah, because on an individual level, do you feel like you have time in your clinic um, to do that as much as you can? I mean, I, th- I think this is time constraints for, for all of us with patient care are so huge, but... What are some of the things that you've, you've seen as, as barriers? Yeah. Um, so I would say um, my clinic always runs late, which is probably partly why. Um, because there is not really a lot of good time yeah. to, to dive into these things. Um, I do think that the CO3 clinic has worked hard to try to get us more of the resources that we need. Mm-hmm. So we do have you know, a social worker in clinic. We have perinatal behavioral health. Um, that can come and help with patients, but I feel like there are always more things that we could that we could be doing, um, and it is it is really hard because at some point, like you are a physician and you're not the social worker or you know the WIC person or the, even though it feels yeah. like sometimes yeah. you are, but um, so I think it's really important to remember your resources and how do you access them and understanding you know the the laws or how the insurance works to better help your patient navigate but not necessarily being like the medicaid specialist or you know 
um, but figuring out how do I get them that IUD that they need? What are the clinics that they can go to if they don't have an insurance that we take at Code 3 um, is something that I think we can always be better at kind of educating ourselves so that it's not just like, sorry, you can't get your IUD today, but how do you, how do I get you to where you can get your IUD or whatever, you know, service it is that you need. Yeah.
you know, I have someone from four hours away or I have someone from down the street and they have very different barriers to their care, but how do I think about that and how do I get them both the, the care that they need? Yeah, I think our location offers that great um, discrepancy, right, in, in the way that we see diversity here, right? And we do have people from right down the street, as you mentioned, and then um, you know, the four hours away patients, the rural patients mm -hmm. from the middle of Missouri or the middle of Illinois who, who are sharing a lot of different struggles with healthcare. Yeah. And frankly, sometimes a lot of different belief systems that they yes. come into healthcare sharing. Or, or having and experiencing. Um, how do you, do you, can you go from one room to the next pretty easily? You know, how does that, is that hard? I think, I think it is. Um, you know, I remember thinking um, very early on in my training how much of, like, sometimes a smoke and mirrors act you mm -hmm. have to play mm -hmm. because you'll walk out of, you know, some type of, um, you know, emergency, or maybe it's an end-of-life conversation, or an act on the floor, and then you get called to another room, and someone wants, like, a new pillow, or a blanket, um, and you're like, okay, you know, it's, it's trying to, like, maintain that um, professionalism, you know, some amount of customer service, yeah. Um, yeah, and trying to, like, maintain that um, level of, you know, togetherness as something that's kind of I feel like from the patient perspective you probably don't think about as much of like where your physician is coming from when they walk into their room right right um but from a patient perspective it is very different um especially you know even on our on floor or postpartum floor you have people who are so different yeah. um yeah I remember one example specifically where I had a patient who was a under a private physician group on the postpartum floor and her I think it was her sister was a patient of our clinic and they both had unique medical problems and one of them was being allowed to overstay her typical postpartum course um, and the other one was kind of being pushed out the door, mm -hmm. um, but still had things that we were addressing, like pain and um, some of her mm -hmm. you know, social determinants yeah. of health. And it was really interesting to me to see the difference in how their care was being approached and how some amount of like customer service was playing into one person's mm -hmm. care mm -hmm. as opposed to another and how even though they had different medical issues, one being like preeclampsia, the other one being pain, they were being addressed mm. from a different perspective and yeah. a lot of like provider bias, I think, was coming into the, the um, decision about like, well, this person just needs to like go. Yeah. Um, yeah. And same, you know, family even, yeah. and we were giving different care. Yeah. Um, and we know, I mean, there's research on the effects of ignoring postpartum pain. Yeah, um, you know, that could actually it could actually be a sign of preeclampsia, or it right. could be a sign of something medical underlying it. Right, right. pain is a medical complaint. Right. <laughs> so, ooh, yeah, and these are tough to see, right? Because we we all sort of put on a, an idea that we are not contributing to this. 
yeah. or at least we get up every day thinking we're not. But yeah. how to un, like discuss these things in a way that helps us to see how we can be better. Yeah. 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 It's it's um, you know I I think that's something that in working on the DA curriculum it's been very humbling to just always say like I can always do better I can always learn more I can always read more and understand more of the history and I think um, you know there's there's a lot for a lot of work and a lot of kind of introspection for all of us to do it was interesting, the, um, the 1619 podcast mm-hmm. yeah. was one of our um, first events. They have a episode four, which talks about kind of um, some of the medical history. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of controversy about that podcast, um, which I don't know how familiar people are with it, but there was a lot of controversy about some of the arguments in it and that it portrays like a different history and I and reading through a lot of the critiques it was really interesting to me because it was like this is why this type of podcast is needed because it is telling us a different history that's not a known history that's not a very broadcast history and I was really questioning well are these critiques coming out of like actual factual criticism or is it that you don't like this type of history that is being discussed um and so I think it's always important to kind of take a step back and and really look at the the history and the information and say well what am I actually seeing here and and learn from that sense of how you guys are doing. I mean, um, that's a lot to ask. 
Yeah, so I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I know that. Yeah, but I know that. Um, I think, I think it's very mixed. I think in general, there's a fatigue that's there. I think that there's a lot of frustration. Um, because, and. Um, because, you know, as, and I felt this tension too, as somebody who's a physician, very science-based in her thoughts and kind of approach to most things. And then also as a public health person, like just such frustration with the, like, distrust and questioning and lack of, you know, adherence to kind of the recommended practices. Um, and then not only just seeing that like in the news or on the newspaper or whatever, but hearing that from patients who you're trying to take care of and then also feeling the patient load of, well, now the whack is full or the guy on floor is full because people are sick because they didn't like do what they were supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's really a lot of highs and a lot of low lows. <laughs> um, you know, over Christmas, I was on nights and we had, you know, five patients in the ICU over the course of like a week and a half period. Um, and just the, the variety of comments that mm. we hear from people about misnomers about the vaccine or, you know, this not being part of their birth plan or just wanting to be home for Christmas yeah. and, you know, knowing how sick they are and how you just want to like have them be better but also like there was something that could have prevented this is just a really hard feeling I think to to deal with sometimes and I know without having been there that you were still able to bring that compassion that you carry with you every day to those patients um I mean it has to help right Mm -hmm. (laughs) um you know I think sometimes I've, I've been sitting with people and just saying I wish it weren't this way, you know, yeah. I wish, I, I wish it weren't this way, but here we are, what are we going to do, you know, let's, yeah. let's move forward the best we can, we're doing our best, you're doing your best, you've showed up today. Right, right, yeah. yeah, and I, you know, I always kind of, even in my clinic, have tried to take the approach of like, you know, I recommend the vaccine, this is the data, what questions, yeah. and if today isn't the day, okay, can we talk about it next time, or why don't I give you this to read and you come back and we, cause I, I want them to keep coming back. Yeah. I want them to ask the questions. I ideally want them to get the vaccine, right. but right. you know, understanding kind of the complexity of that decision for a lot of people and some of the history that's behind vaccination in this country, trying to meet them where they're at and mm-hmm. say, okay, well, how do we, how do we make this informed decision together in a way that you don't feel like I'm being coercive or making a decision that you don't want, but also making a decision that hopefully is safe for you and your family or your pregnancy or whatever that um, kind of collective decision-making is. Yeah. And then sometimes you're not in the hospital. What brings you joy these days outside of the hospital? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, most recently it's been... um, buying a house. Oh, exciting. So that's my um, partner and I just bought our first home. 
We've been together 11 years and have had many apartments <laughs> in many different states since we both um, have gone through medical training. So I think we've had like seven or eight moves in our time together. Um, so we're very excited to be getting a house and so planning for that and doing things on the house and furniture and all that stuff has kind of been our outside of work um, fun thing. We finally have a deck, which Oh, we're very excited okay. about yeah. <laughs> an outdoor space. So almost nothing better than a deck. Yes, <laughs> even if it's cold. <laughs> we'll we'll it's been really cold lately. Yeah. Know. Bridget's sitting here wearing her. Um, she has many, many pins on her badge, which are all awesome. Yeah. Um, what do they say? One says, "Be just." Um, be just, merciful, and brave. Mm-hmm. The one below it says, "Fight racism." Hallie Staples is responsible for both of these, um, which I really um, thought it was really special that she got them for me. The sunglasses, which say, look on the bright side, uh, were given to me by Susie Cook, um, which we all got as chiefs to remind us of, despite the dark days that chief year can bring, um, to kind of keep a positive look. Um, And then I have a Black Lives Matter pin, which I... um, I actually got for myself. I thought it was important to wear just given kind of the patient population that we take care of. Um, I have an IUD pin that I got from one of my friends in med school. And then I have a rainbow LGBTQ um, pin that actually I got from a fellow student when I was a fourth year med student. We were on in a way together. Okay. And she had got it for me knowing that I was into um, advocacy and things like that. Um, I have my pronoun badge and then I have a COVID vaccine so that everyone knows <laughs> how much I value vaccination and that I myself am vaxxed and boosted. I love it. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> I might need to replace it though in fellowship. I don't know. It might be wearing out. But oh, it looks great. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, thanks so much, Bridget. And um, of course, we will, you know, just keep us updated on the different DI events. We'll try to follow along on the podcast to bring to other people who might not be able to make the events just some summaries and recaps. Um, but just so appreciate the work you've done and the work you're helping us all to do. Well, thank you so much. It really is a team effort. Like I said, Hallie, Janai, and then Christina Mitra just joined us and I've really worked hard, and it's definitely not a one-man show. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Um, and it, it, it can't be, right? No, I mean, it can't. If anyone thinks it can, it's just not possible. Yeah, yeah. So we're excited, yeah. and we'll keep you guys posted. Awesome. Thanks. Well, Thank you. Uh, always great to talk to you, Bridget. Same. <laughs>
boil down, if I'm going to give 100 or 110% to something, knowing that we, while we are all exceptionally talented people, we cannot reasonably do everything exceptionally well all the time, and thinking about what are the things, if I can only do three things really well, what are the things that mean the most to me to do well? And really recognizing that to do them well, you sometimes have to say no to other things. And so, you know, a lot of times in residency, that means no to a party or seeing your family or whatever, because you're at work and you're giving time and energy to that, which is a trade-off that fortunately is limited. Um, But also recognizing that sometimes we have to say no to some of those things to say yes to the things that really make us who we are so putting the deck furniture together or you know (laughs) dinner with your family or you know taking that trip to to see your family after we haven't seen them for months in quarantine so always kind of doing that balance of what is the the really important things and what are the things that boil to the top as my priorities and, and really thinking about those priorities which is I think a hard thing because People that get to our point are people that are good at doing a lot of things, right? And they're usually picked yeah. to do a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but I think something that in my aging process, <laughs> um, I'm learning that there is a value in saying no, thank you. Like I appreciate you recognizing my talents and abilities to potentially do that, but I'm going to put them in this bucket, which is you know more my priority. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we all have to be expecting some no's too when we yes. some things, right? So, um, yeah. Let's go out and say no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So if I ask you any more questions, you can say no. No, thank okay. you. Okay, I will. Sounds good. <laughs> <All right. laughs>